there's a glass of water sitting on a table in the Hall of Electric Curiosity. The room looks like a type of living quarters. It's very neatly kept. It's almost sparse. And the bedside table is next to a very thin single bed. And asleep in that bed is a bald man with a bushy moustache and a vaguely stupid look. The door swings open and in walks a snooty-looking elf followed by a leopard-printed tabaxi. And we still don't know who they are. We can't seem to remember. Something strange has happened and he still isn't understanding me. Mega Magumbo tentatively walks across the room and pulls up a chair next to the bed where Indifference Jones lies asleep. And he waves the tabaxi away with his hand and he quietly waits for the door to close. Sir, I know it was traumatic what happened, but we need you to help us resolve this problem. There's this long pause as Mega Magumbo waits. And it becomes clear that he's been doing this for some period of time as there's a lot of defeat on his face in this process. But sort of just as he's about to walk away and give up again, Indifference Jones' eyes, they flicker and they open and he looks up into Mega Magumbo's eyes And it's like he doesn't understand what he's seeing right away. He has a confused look on his face. Sir, you're you're awake. You get get us quite scared. Magumba, what, what, what happened? Why, Why am I here? Sir... Something happened in the menagerie. We aren't sure. We didn't see what happened as the entry was sealed. But it's not just that. It's like we can't remember. Some people were having a personalised tour from yourself, but we can't remember how many there were, who they were, anything about them. I see. We were attempting to find out everything we can. But something has happened to the electric lord. There's sort of like a sharp pause and it's like Indifference Jones comes into focus for a moment. He's been really wishy-washy up until now. And he says, Magamba, I don't have to tell you. That is impossible. There's like a long pause as Magumbo sort of weighs up his words before he speaks next. And he says, Sir, I understand this news is traumatic, but the Electric Lord came to life to defend the museum, as you foretold. It's unclear why, as our access to the menagerie was restricted. And we are unable to remember any details, but the Electric Lord was completely 
destroyed. Indifference Jones, who seemed lucid for a few moments, he just falls silent and stares into the distance. And a few moments passed. He says, sir, I understand this might be hard to hear, but surely from what we know, this physical manifestation was merely a fragment of the Electric Lord's power. The mission must continue, surely. Indifference remains silent, staring almost catatonic at this stage. Sir, please, we must find the ones who did this and they must be punished. Desperation in his voice, he says, Sir, we need you. And Indifference Jones remains indifferent. Mogumbo sighs, stands up from his chair, and he turns to walk from the room. He tentatively steps across and he places his hand on the door to leave. Mogumbo. Find out everything you can about the Runai. This is Sounds Like Adventure, an actual play podcast all about fun roleplay, short runtimes, and great sound design. I'm your host and DM, Jack Trainer, and I'm joined by my co-hosts and players, Jacob Sarachi and China Venzel. And we're finally back! I'm so excited to say welcome to Season 2 of Sounds Like Adventure. Hey, it's me, Jack! How you going? Thanks for joining us. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us today because we have such a huge season planned for you. But before we get into what you can expect from today's episode, we're doing another huge giveaway. So we did a bunch of those Q&A episodes recently. And during those Q&As, a really common question we received was about people wanting to play D&D with us. And we were extremely flattered, but we really wanted to figure out a way to try and make this work. So... We're going to give you that opportunity right now. So for three lucky listeners based in Australia, you're going to get to play in a fully exclusive D&D campaign with Chai, Jacob, and me. So I'll be DMing, you'll get to be a player alongside Chai and Jacob, and it won't be recorded, so if you're camera shy, don't stress at all. So if you'd like to play a game with us, then either head over to soundslike.show, find the post there, or soundslike underscore pod on Instagram. But today's episode... Now, if you're just joining us and you haven't listened to season one, go back, listen to season one. You really should. But if you don't have time, Sounds Like Adventure is an actual play podcast all about fun role play, great sound design, and short run times. In season one, we met the brothers Otis and Siok Bakumbra, and they began their quest to find out what happened to the secret society known as the Runai. Their quest led them to the museum called the Hall of Electric Curiosity, where they were trying to find some information that would lead them to the Runai's location. And long story short, some stuff happened and there's now a hole in the wall of that museum and they have the information that they need and they know what they need to do next. So in today's episode, the quest continues. When we last left off, Otis and Siok unfurled the back of the painting that they'd stolen from the menagerie. And on it, they saw the message that they were sent to find. It directed them to the Brunei's first hideout, right in the centre of the city with the cryptic clue that it was time to call in their debts. So they know where they need to go, and it's just a matter of getting there. 
But what happens if someone gets to them first? Find out in episode one of season two of Sounds Like Adventure. As the sun rises on the forest of Maya, a blue insect flutters to rest on a branch. It slowly settles on the branches and opens its wings, showing an intricate pattern. And as it does this, off in the distance, you start to see the shape filling the sky behind the insect. And all of a sudden, the sharp beak of a bird closes around it. And standing in its place is a blackbird. So the raven shakes its feathers and takes off from the branch and it soars through the trees for a time, weaving through branches before it bursts through an opening in the canopy. And as it circles above this opening, far below it is the upper reaches of the city of Ethelgrove. Another insect flutters past and descends into the city. It's almost like the raven has this moment of indecision as it dives into the city, chasing after the insect. And it rapidly falls toward the peak of society in Ethelgrove, Arboreal, or as it's more commonly known, the Roost. The last remaining remnants of the original community The raven streaks around the curved surfaces that make up the walls of the homes. Their curves are so smooth, it's like the buildings grew from the trees themselves. And the insect and the raven dash in between branches and they weave in between wealthy Aarakocra before reaching the treehouse, which is the giant central tree that acts as the public transportation system for the city of Ethelgrove. And they dive to the ground floor. And they're weaving past the various elevators, speeding up and down the tree. The raven's getting closer and closer. But then one of the elevators makes some unexpected turn and the insect loses the raven. And it flutters free of the elevator shaft and it's at the ground floor. And it races down the streets of Ethel Grove, slowly sort of reaccustomizing itself to the fact it's not being chased anymore sees sturdy buildings made from magical trees go by, flutters along paths that are cut through and around tree trunks, and it arrives in the front of a building. And this building has a small flower that's growing out of the dirt in front of it, and it slowly lands on the flower. And as it prepares to draw nectar from the flower, the newspaper flies in and smashes into the insect and the flower, crushing them both. The newspaper now sits at the foot of the door and above the door is two signs. And on the left is a sign in very nondescript writing that says, the Department of Lost and Found. And on the right is a smaller sign that's written in very fine calligraphy. And it's a sign that says, Macumbra and Macumbra, comma, brothers. So from behind the door, the sound of a lock unfastening is heard and the door smoothly swings open, revealing Otis McCumbra. So, Jacob, what does Otis look like the first thing in the morning? Otis has, like, a meticulous morning routine. 
that paper's like clockwork for him. He's made his coffee, he's like brushed his teeth, he's still got his robe on, not ready for the day. Um, so he's got like a robe, probably some slippers, like very, like any movie where the, like, the person gets up and has that like same exact morning routine every morning, that's Otis. Otis, you carefully step down from the stoop of the building, just knowing every step that you need to take, smoothly stepping across the front of the building and grabbing the newspaper. You swoop down, you scoop it up, and you unfurl it, uh, and you read the headline on the front page of the paper, and it says, Chaos at the Hall of Electric Curiosity. I think Otis had looked out of the paper and sort of have a little sly smile to himself. Not quite proud of what has happened, but proud that they've they've gotten away unscathed. So scoop up the paper and then you head back in the door. And when you head inside, the first thing you see is the warehouse for the Department of Lost and Found. And basically, it looks like the warehouse where they put the Ark of the Covenant in Raiders of the Lost Ark. (laughs) But somehow, it is even less organised than that. There's just like (laughs) rows and rows of towering shelves and crates. And those crates are just like jam-packed and overflowing with all kinds of random and miscellaneous items. Just in the crate closest to you, Otis, you could see a wheelbarrow, you could see an unopened box of hundreds of copies of a local author's new novel. There's 46 pineapples in it. It's just like, there's all kinds of stuff. (laughs) I think Otis, like, as he sort of, every single time he sees this, he would shudder a little bit. Uh, Being the well-organised man he is, he he definitely has almost like a visceral reaction to the this state of disarray, but he knows it's not his place to organise someone else's things. So Otis takes a sharp turn and you head straight towards a door and above the door is the same sign from outside uh, and it says Macumbra and Macumbra, comma, brothers. And Otis, as you're opening the door, you look up at the sign. What goes through your mind as you look at the sign? I feel like the name was something that Seok uh, submitted without Otis's knowledge and the terrible uh, grammar of it would irk Otis all the time. So you grip the door handle and um, you walk in and you walk into what could be like very generously called a reception area. Um, It's about like the size of a hallway. There's a small desk and there's a makeshift divider that goes from floor to ceiling. Uh, And there's a door in the centre. You open the door and walk into the main area of Macumbra and Macumbra, comma, brothers. And this sort of doubles as your main work and living area. It's like just a real hodgepodge of private investigatory stuff. There's like a corkboard with pins stuck into it. There's pictures of different people and locations with string connecting them. There's bookshelves everywhere, all kinds of weird and eccentric books that Otis has collected. And there's this big central table. And this is where you unfurled the painting and found the next step in the journey. And Otis, as you walk in, you see Seok sitting at the table and he's sitting back drinking some type of hot drink out of a mug. So Chai, what's Seok wearing first thing in the morning like this and what's he drinking? So Siok wears a nice fluffy purple bathrobe that he found in the lost and found area at some point. It's a bit worn, 
but he loves it because it's so nice and fluffy. Does it have someone else's name on it? Probably, probably uh, there was some, some, there's some initials soon into it that say, <laughs> that, that says like <laughs> S and M. Um, he never found out whose it is and that, no one ever came to claim it. <laughs> so he's wearing that and he's drinking what smells like a very strong tea. No sugar, no milk. So, Otis, you walk in, you're holding the paper, you look across the table, you see your brother, he's drinking, sitting there drinking the tea. What do you do? Uh, I feel like Otis would walk in <clears throat> and, as is the morning ritual, he'd sort of take out portions of the paper that Seok wants, keeping the keeping the regular news stories for himself and handing Seok, like, all of the funnies and the... The gossip. And just immediately sort of passes them and then... um show the front of the paper to Seok as well and he's like brother we we made the front page Seok looks up as he's like pouring tea into his face his eyes widen a bit it's like I would would have thought they'd probably brush it under the rug I need to read that when you're done with it of of course so this is the like the first edition paper that comes out There's a couple of editions that come out throughout the day. You know there's one that comes out sort of mid-morning. But the thing that you're noticing is that there's a lot of people being, like, credited with this in a lot of ways. And, like, there isn't a mention at all of, like, a Loxodon and a Tabaxi in this article you're noticing. And there isn't a mention of the McCumber brothers at all, which is odd to you because you guys were using your real names like the whole time. As Seok reads it, you just earlier said that there doesn't seem to be any mention uh, like of who the culprit is if they're like guessing. Is there any mention of who is taking over the case like from the police side or something like that? No, there's just sort of like generic mentions of like guards investigating and things like that and the museum um, performing its own investigations to see what is, what's happening. As it's this like preliminary, preliminary story, there isn't really much detail in terms of what's happening next. It's all about what actually happened. And no mention of indifference Jones. Uh, there is mention of the fact that nobody has been able to receive comment from the curator of the museum. I wonder if the if Mr. Jones is all right. He basically f- passed out straight away once that thing came to life. So I'm hoping he's uh, he hasn't taken too much damage from whatever happened to him. I do hope so. Uh, Mr. Jones was an unfortunate bystander, an unfortunate innocent in the scenario. I'm not so sure about the innocence. He he was very candid about someone else coming to its de- to their demise when I was like listening in. He might be the only one that could identify us. We spent the whole day with him. Would be very suspicious if he can't recall anything about us. They haven't been able to receive comment, so I guess we don't know. Nah, he might be not conscious yet. 
So just to confirm for my notes, you guys are choosing to not notify Necktie right away. I would still think not yet. Siok would definitely agree with that assessment. So you guys discuss what you're going to do for a while and you come to this conclusion about delaying uh, the reveal to Necktie. And as you sort of come to the conclusion of this conversation, um, there's a bit of a noise from outside the door. And then after what sounds like a bit of an ordeal, the door bursts open and in walks this short Aracocra man. And he has like grey feathering. He almost looks like a pigeon. And you guys, of course, know this guy. It's, it's Double Dylan, of course. Sorry, did you, did you say Double Dylan? Double Dylan, that's his name. <laughs> it's very apt because he sort of doubles as your assistant and landlord because he runs the Department of Lost and Found and he was the one who rented you guys this office space. And he comes in, his arms are just laden with pastries and he's got the papers and on top of the stack, precariously balanced, is the next edition, the second edition of the newspaper. Um, and he comes in and he's like, Hey, boys, bit of a kerfuffle at the museum, eh? Looks like a bloody hole got blown in the wall. Friggin' Arboreal's taking credit, eh? And then he throws the paper at you, Seahawk. Uh, Seahawk definitely catches it out of the air, I would assume. Give me that sleight of hands. <laughs> Six feet of 12. <laughs> okay, let's see. Uh, that's not happening. It's an 11. <laughs> I would like it to, like, flip in the air for a stupidly long amount of time while Siok is trying to grab it and it just, like, drops between his <laughs> J- feet. Juggle it for a time. Bobbling it around. <laughs> um, great. Uh, so you do that. You scoop it up. Uh, and as you scoop it up, you see the back page of the paper. And it says, Local music festival tonight. The wizard's nephew. And then you turn the paper over and you see the story about the chaos at the museum. And this one is much more detailed. And you quickly read through it a little um, and it says it's unclear who's actually perpetrated this incident, but the arboreals are taking credit for it. And once again, no mention of Loxodon, no mention of Tabaxi, no mention of Macumbras. You guys know. The Arboreals, of course, they're this fringe extremist group and they believe that Ethel Grove should never have happened, essentially. The city should be returned to Aracocra only. And, like, their views aren't necessarily common, but they're loud and the people who support them are quite vocal. So it's, like, a pretty big issue at the moment in the community, what's going on with these guys and and the unrest that they're causing. But they hadn't done anything. So the fact that they're now, like, taking credit for something like this that has happened, which is essentially the way they're spinning it, like a assault on the ground dwellers, it's quite a big deal that they have taken credit for this. And Seok, you knowing that it wasn't them who did that and it was actually you guys who did it is pretty confusing. And also, you guys, are, like, you're getting more and more confused that there is no mention of you guys at all in this. Like, how come no one's beaten the door down to find you guys right now? You're not a secret. It literally says your names on the front door. Do you guys tell Dylan that it was you guys? I don't think so. I think he he is kind of involved, but not that deeply. Do you think Dylan knows that you guys are members of the Runa? I 
don't think so, no. I think he would know us as our detective agency stuff, but I don't think Rune I would have come into it. Yeah, I, I would also assume that the Rune are so secretive that they wouldn't tell about. I mean, we say that, but we also did run around that museum chatting Runei to everyone that we saw. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Very fair. Fair point. <laughs> like we, we were not shy about it at all. For some secret organization, we flouted that name everywhere. I think I think um, he might know that we're looking for the Runei, but not that we're part of the organization or something. Yeah, actually, I agree with that. Yeah, so he starts sort of like wandering around the room and handing out the handing out the pastries that he's laden with and just sort of chatting. He's like, ah, Boreals, they're getting confident. They're, they're doing all kinds of stuff. you got to be careful out there. No, uh, you're all right. <laughs> uh, you want some tea? <laughs> Look, we, we, we don't, you don't make me tea. That's not how this works. <laughs> no, I, I, already, I already made tea. If you want some, it's right here. You get the impression that he would be deeply offended if you forced tea upon him. It was like, okay, okay, okay. Uh, Dylan, how about you grab yourself a tea and could you grab me one in the process, please? I think it's also like something that Siok would try every day to yeah. offer him tea. <laughs> this is like the daily ritual. <laughs> he goes, all right, you got it, boss. And then, but first. Oh, boys. Don't mean to be like a downer. And he like spins a chair around and sits on it backwards. <laughs> but you're getting a little bit behind on rent. So last I checked, uh, you're about um, uh, eight uh, business uh, months behind. Um, <laughs> so that's a, that's a bit too. It's a bit too much. I think um, I'm flexible. I, I like yours. I, I try and be fair. And look, I get it. You're upset. You, you can't find this rune guy. <laughs> I know you're looking for the rune guy. It's it's hard. And I I, I want to help you out. I'm doing my best. Look, I'm here. I've got the pastries. <laughs> but I get it. But you boys, you gotta do some cases that pay you money. You can't keep doing this free stuff all the time because I can't keep you here for free, right? Uh, Otis <laughs> looks at Seok and he goes, Brother, I thought I thought that I gave you two months worth of rent to give Mr. Dylan a while ago. You gave me rent money. You gave me rent money. You gave me rent money. I think I know where I put it. And Seok like goes on the hunt to try and remember where he placed a very small amount of money <laughs> somewhere within in the bookcases because he put it somewhere safe and as we all know if Siok puts something somewhere safe it's probably lost forever. <laughs> Like, Otis, I think you're watching Double Dylan. He's just sitting in the chair and you just watch his, like, head just following Seok, just, like, watching you move around the room, but just, like, being, like, is he really looking for the rent right now? Like, just, like, (laughs) taking it in and he just goes, well, uh, uh, look, boys, uh, just get it sorted, all right? 
coffees. How do I get you started? And then before you guys can answer, there's like another kerfuffle outside the door. And you hear this other voice all of a sudden. It's coming from outside, so it's like a little bit different. I mean, uh, really, who puts a, an office in a warehouse? It makes absolutely no sense. Absurd, really. No receptionist either. Am I, oh my, what kind of fly-by-night operation? And as you hear this, the door bursts open and standing there, framed by the door, is a rainbow-patterned aracocra, almost like a rainbow lorikeet, but way more rainbow. Is it Mary Canary? A bit more rainbow than that. As Mary Canary's eyes fall onto Otis and Seok, a smile comes across her face and she says, Well, 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 my dear boys, I knew the two of you weren't clever enough to give false names. Oh, boy. go episode one of season two it's in the books with the return of mary canary but what does she want to find out you'll have to stick around for episode two and hey it's the start of a new season and i wanted to just remind you we say this all the time and i know it can start to feel a bit repetitive but a five-star review of the show is just life-changing for us it means so much to us to read those and it really helps other people find out about the show so if you have time please go over and leave a five-star review it'd mean the world to us but don't forget we have that really amazing giveaway happening right now so head over to sounds like adventure on instagram sounds like underscore pod or head over to sounds like dot show and follow your notes from there but hey in the meantime we'll catch you in the next episode of sounds like adventure